right, everybody, welcome back to the Cyprian Francis Show. I'm your host, Cyprian Francis, and this is the show where we talk all things media, marketing, and film. And right now, I'm broadcasting from my home here in Los Angeles, and I'm very excited to have a special guest with me from my hometown, Chicago, Bob Iacchino, world-renowned financial news contributor, show host, trader, educator, entrepreneur, um, thank you, Bob, for joining me here today. Happy to be here, man. It's good to talk to you again, brother. Yeah, and so you know, right off the bat, you're at your at your home office right now, right? I am. But when we're not in a quarantine, you're found on the floor often, right? Yeah, I still do go down to the trading floor quite a bit. Not necessarily to work anymore, but to do a lot of the TV stuff that I do. Most of it is shut down there. All right, so then. Um, you know, we've known each other for like 10 years because uh, when I first started working in finance, we started working at the same company and yep. that's kind of where I started my passion for digital and media in the financial space. And you were pretty much doing financial stuff, but you rolled that into a media component uh, of the business. So why don't you tell me a little bit about how you got into the financial industry, right? Because I have my story. I think everyone has their own story there. And right. then how did that turn into, you know, being a popular guy on television? Well, it's funny. First of all, uh, everybody that's listening should know that it's still to this day, you as a young pup made my favorite reel of myself, which was all those intros of me where different hosts were saying, Bob Iacchino, Bob Iacchino. I don't know if you remember that. Man, that was a quickie. I think we did that like yeah. half a day or something. Probably less. I mean, you even in, I don't what were you, 11 years old? I don't even know how old you were. You were a pup and that thing was great. So you had a talent for that stuff just really early on. But uh, my stories, uh, it's a weird one in terms of finance. And then it's, it's probably pretty common in terms of television. Like the finance story was uh, my family had a family business. My dad took on partners. Uh, it was an Italian bakery in Chicago, by the way, which is pretty ethnic. But um, I worked there since I was 11 years old. My dad took on partners. Those partners voted my father out of the business and we all quit. So I was literally, you know, my whole family, obviously. So I was literally hanging around the house and a buddy of mine said, why don't you come down to the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and hang out with me for the day. And, and I thought we were going to the merchandise mart. I didn't even know what the Mercantile Exchange was. And I saw the excitement and I never left. It's just What, that what year was that? What year was that? 1992. Okay, so that was right before it went, did like four or five years before the internet kicked in. Maybe even like Yeah, that. yeah. I mean, I, I got my first email address while I was working on the trading floor. I didn't have one when I started. <laughs> So, and that and and then right usually back, right before the dot-com boom yeah and so usually the floor story is kind of like you start as a runner right yep yep i did that as well like when i was down there with my buddy i just kind of walked around once i realized how much i loved it i walked around and, and begged for a job and i ended up getting one uh, my first job was 500 dollars a month and the guy told me your job is to get me coffee get me lunch and look for another job he said that's it he goes i just feel bad for you so i'm giving you a job so that was that was my that was my role, and uh, before he fired me, I found another one and just kind of snowballed from there. But so that was the work part. The TV part started in 1999. I did my first TV interview in 1999, and I had a friend named uh, Jack Jack Barugian, who you can still see on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jack was a friend of mine down on the trading floor. He's one of my sort of early um, mentor slash friends. He's more of a friend, but. 
he he was doing TV already, and CNBC asked them for five asked Jack for five more traders who could complete a sentence. Those are Jack's words. <laughs> so he got a bunch of us in a room, and CNBC did screen tests, and I was one of the people they picked. So it ended up being like twenty five guys down there, and they picked five of us, and I was one of them. That's how it started. And then did it be it then it like kind of comes as a supply demand thing, right? And like a scheduling yeah. thing, like. You know, you become the Thursday guy or you become the uh, futures guy, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. The second part, it became a subject thing. So whatever they liked uh, your commentary on, they started calling you for that subject all the time. So mine ended up being uh, currencies, interest rates and oil. That's what they liked. And you're still pretty popular as the oil guy, right? Like you're getting- Yeah, that's, that's interesting, Sip, because that is uh, my shortest career uh, the shortest segment of my financial career was in oil, but it's the thing that I'm the most known for now in the financial news media. So I, I literally, I have Bloomberg reporters that call me and they don't even quote me in the story. They just call me and ask me about oil. And I literally worked at a boutique oil firm in Chicago doing strategy and uh, hedging for 10 months. That was it. And I just, I learned things about oil that you just don't know in that 10 months that most people don't know. And it was, it was pretty cool. It was really good learning. And it was very late in my career where I was hungry to learn things. I wasn't learning things anymore. So I've always been that guy that I'm like a sponge, right? So um, that's like probably from a perspective of something that I was born with, that was the luckiest thing I ever had was that sponge thing. And when I was at that oil firm, I just sucked in all this information about physical crude oil, which most people don't know. And I started spewing that stuff in TV interviews and that became my thing now. So people actually see me as an oil guy, but it's the shortest segment of my entire career. And so do you have any regular rotations right now that, that, that you, you're covering? I think you do like the, the, I always see you on the CNBC futures now, right? And then the CME always has you like plastered all over their stuff. Yeah, so I do three commentaries a day for the CME group. So I do different subjects, like I've got my whiteboard calendar on the wall here. So I look at today, for example, I have to do a couple videos for them on FX and metals. So they'll give me subjects per day. So I do those every day. I also do a thing that the CME posts on Twitter called Your Need to Know. And that's mine every day. It's three subjects that traders need to know either from, if I film it in the morning, it's for that day. If I film it in the afternoon, it's for the following day. Uh, so those are regular spots. I do every other Wednesday on Bloomberg Canada, their Canada subsidiary. So that's every other Wednesday. I do an afternoon spot for them. I do TD Ameritrade's internal network twice a week. The days vary. Um, I do Charles Schwab every third Monday, their internal network that they webcast to their clients. And then uh, Bloomberg is once every two weeks and that day varies as well. I don't do a lot of CNBC anymore. Uh, because they stopped doing the Futures Now show. Mm -hmm. To be honest, just between us and your thousand <laughs> listeners, whatever it is, uh, I don't particularly care for CNBC that much anymore. They've kind of become the TMZ of financial news. Mm. Try to get like, they, they literally would be talking in my ear and they'll be argue with him on this. And I'm like, I don't disagree. Why would I argue? But they're kind of trying to create conflict and create ratings. They're going sort of that Fox News, MSNBC route where you know they have an agenda and I don't mean a political agenda I just mean they they want conflict and you know I'm going to argue with somebody if I disagree but if I don't I'm not going to argue with them. 
Yeah, I mean, it's good that you're able to stick to what you believe in, and that's really why they should have you on their show because they can get an honest opinion that you stand behind that right. hopefully benefits their audience, right? Like nobody yeah. likes to go on financial news and talk about everybody losing money. You just right. want to be realistic about it. Right, and you know me, so you've known me a long time. I mean, if I think something, I'm probably trading it. So if they try to get me to take the other side of something I'm trading, uh, that's, first of all, it's probably illegal. I don't even know, but it's probably illegal if I have a position and I'm talking one way or the other. Um, that's number one. So there was one time where I had been long copper for two days, uh, 37%. Okay. And, you know, I was messing with my, and I was due to be on CNBC. And they said, we want you to talk uh, copper today. We want you to put on a copper trade on the show. I'm like, I can't. I just got out of my copper trade. I can't. I can't. It's up seven. I'm not going to put a trade on up seven. You know that. You're a trader. So I'm like, I'm, I can't do that. And they're like, well, we need, that's what we need you to do. Fine. So I went on and I said, if it falls 8%, I'll buy it. That's all I said. And so they got mad at me. And then finally, after about a year back and forth, you know what? Up, oh, looks like I lost my man Bob there, having technical issues. Broadcasting from Chicago. He got booted. Uh-oh, technical difficulties. We got him back. We got him back. <laughs> you know what's you know what's cool? The same, I say this all the time, the same technology that allows us to do this sometimes goes out. What can you do about it? You can't get mad. Yeah, no. Um, but you know, I think I think uh you did a good job of covering the different seg the different shows. And I mean it sounds like you got a busy schedule, right? Like you yeah, gotta you course. gotta prep for all those sets. Um so let's let me ask you this question. Um now you're doing this at well, so there's there's basically two ways that doing like finance or news commentary like this can benefit you, right? So like some of the networks pay you because you're an expert and sometimes they don't where you just become an expert and you use it as a way to promote your business. Right. Um, would you agree with that? I would completely agree. So mm -hmm. I, I have four companies that are active right now. There's Path Trading Partners where I'm the co-founder and chief market strategist. And that is white label analysis. So in other words, if a firm wants analysis but can't afford their own analysts, they hire us. We write the analysis, they put their name on it. So that's one. I also go on TV as Path Trading Partners. That's like my all-encompassing sort of media name. Um, I also have a company called Intrades, which is a fintech company. I've got a couple of 20-something partners uh, down in South America who started the company and they brought me in as sort of the, the old guy, right? The guy who has the market experience. And that's kind of like, it's geared more toward people your age where uh, intrades.com is short for intelligent trades. And it's like an infographic style of market information. It's really cool. Like it's bright colors and, and big numbers and basically everything you need to know about. So if a TV station calls me, like I do Yahoo and Cheddar as well, mm -hmm. which I left those out. Cheddar will say to me, can you talk about Apple today? At three o'clock. I'm like, sure. And I go to intrades and I type in Apple and everything I want to know is on intrades, like literally everything. So, um, I'm a partner in that company, and I'm also the head of research for that company. Then I have the stock think tank, which we actually just launched, which is a portfolio product where people pay a fee and we design a portfolio and it's a, it's a mass market portfolio, but we basically do everything for you. You just put on the trades. 
So it's 10 stocks um, plus some bonus picks here and there. We follow a specific formula and it's more of a short to medium term stock portfolio for people who want to be in the markets, but they don't know what to buy. We tell them what to buy. And we actually rushed that one out because we were preparing that product for when a, a correction came. And if you see some of my interviews back in October, November, December, I kept saying a market correction was coming. And so we were slowly working on this product. And when this black swan coronavirus came, uh, we pushed the product out and we launched it. So we actually launched it last week. Uh, got a bunch of members for that. And it's pretty affordable. It's like 500 bucks a year. So it's only like $42 a month. Yeah, we'll add all the links to the video and to the post so everyone can see it. But let's let's talk about the let's talk about the inevitable, like the government. I don't know what the number is, but the government is basically shut down half of America. You can't go anywhere. You you have to sit at home, right? There's an entire economy that has just been told you cannot earn income, right? You have to innovate. And so, you know, what what are your thoughts on it, right? Because everyone has different perspectives. Like you have a very high level because you see the financials and the corporates and how that trickles down. And I think I'm seeing a lot of the, the, the everyday life and it's at a standstill. So, you know, I'm optimistic in that I'm going to give it two months at the most, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, but you know, what are your thoughts on all this, Bob? Well, I agree with your time frame. I think it's probably um, another month from where we sit, month and a half from where we sit right now. So it's been what? It's been two weeks, three weeks? Three weeks for us, yeah. Yeah, so it's been three weeks in Chicago as well because I remember that the California order came around the same time as the Illinois order. So I figure from there, it's probably another month, month and a half before things normalize, but things aren't going to normalize. Um, They're going to get back to some semblance of normal, but there's a couple of things that I think are going to change permanently. Uh, you and I were talking about Zoom uh, before you actually started recording. Zoom's market cap is now equal to the largest four airlines, which is American, Delta, United, and Southwest. Zoom has the same market cap as those four combined. Now that says more about the sell-off in airlines than it does about the rally in Zoom. If you bought Zoom in July of last year, you're only up about $20 a share, so about 20%, which is a great move, especially given what the rest of the market has done. But if you bought Zoom at the lows a couple of months ago, you doubled your money. And that's because of, of something you told me is their usership has jumped, right? I mean, 85 million or 10 million a day to like 200 million. Yeah. So that's a ton. Now, their stock took a little bit of a hit because there was a report that came out that their platform's not really secure. But for most conversations, you don't need a secure platform, right? For mm-hmm. business, they need to. But they're, they're about to work on that. We know that's the truth. So... I think from a perspective of things like that, there's gonna be very few businesses, medium to large, they are gonna be willing to send somebody to another city just because the guy says, I gotta go talk to a client, right? I gotta mm-hmm. do, they're gonna say, look, we have Zoom, do that first, right? So there's gonna be less business travel. There's other things, there's a company I really like called Teladoc, right? The symbol is TDOC. TDOC. Yeah, TDOC. I think it's going to be a $700 stock. It's 100. I didn't look at it today. It was about 140 the last time I looked at it. I think it's going to be a $700 or $800 stock. They're telemedicine. So if you talk to physicians, they'll tell you that 90% of what people come into their office for, they can do over the phone, Mm. right? 
Well, this is video, similar to Zoom, right? It's an internal platform. They don't use Zoom. They basically use your iPhone or your iPad or your Android. Some of them can even use smart TVs. And you have a doctor's appointment in your living room. Now, that's twofold, right? Number one, it's convenient. Number two, an average visit's about $75. So even if you don't have insurance, it's affordable for people. And then they email you your prescription, right? So let's say you got a rash. Let's say my tattoo is a rash, right? I show it to the doctor, right? He's like, this, I got this rash here. He goes, oh yeah, that's a simple early stage eczema. Here's your prescription. Go pick it up, rub it on there. You'll be fine. That's it. It's over. And if you think about how many germaphobes we're creating with this virus right now, right? How many people would that are always going to wear a mask now? Who wants to go to a doctor's office? Better yet, who wants to bring a little kid to a doctor's office? to expose them to all those adult germs that might be sitting in the waiting room. So I think telemedicine is not only here to stay, but it's about to explode given what's happening now. I like the stuff before this. It's tele-everything, right? It's telemedicine, tele-everything, right? right? And so I think people have to start to innovate. Right. I mean, how much bigger is Amazon going to get now? How smart were they to buy Whole Foods and do grocery delivery? Right. That's one of the only ways we've shopped in the last three weeks as we get a, a Whole Foods bag delivered to us. Well, look, this is bad for small businesses then. because Right. So small businesses and entrepreneurs and independent contractors probably have to start to innovate themselves. Right. How much more do you want to use a driverless Uber now than you used to? Yeah, that's right. From that perspective, driverless, uh, driverless transportation, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to replace you driving somewhere. But if you're going to get into a vehicle, you know, a lot of people, again, the germaphobes we're creating right now, you know, every generation has their thing, right? And this is kind of you and people younger than you. This is your thing. So down the road, it's going to be pretty normal when nothing is going on to see half the people with masks on and maybe gloves. And you guys aren't going to think anything of it, right? Remember I, those days where we I know, just man, go like, sit at a bar? And- <laughs> Bro, you're from Chicago, so you're going to be a little different. You're going to be like looking at those people going, come on. But that's going to happen, right? Half the people your age and younger are going to be like, no, I'm wearing a mask forever. So somebody like Uber who's working on driverless transportation for people, that's probably, that stock's been getting hit, but probably long term, it's not a bad play. Yeah, I mean, you know, there have been similar viruses in the past and smart doctors and technology have found solutions to prevent it. So if there is a vaccine, maybe things can go back to normal-ish. Right, until the next one. That's right, it. yeah. You mentioned you're talking about uh, SIDS, SARS, MERS, uh, swine flu. There's been tons of these things. And you're right, we're fine, <laughs> right? We didn't go to wearing masks and gloves, but this one has gotten so much attention. I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, honestly, this is a compliment, people like yourself is there are more people that are able to reach a group of people and talk about this. So it's not just, hey, I got home, I watched the news, I heard there was this virus. It's 24 seven, not just TV, it's on your computer, it's on your phone, it's on Twitter, it's on TikTok, it's on everything. All right, so I would, I wanna know your opinion on how this affects the entertainment industry, right? Because um, theaters, have been completely shut down, right? And so on our agency side, we do work with uh, like film, independent film distribution. Mm -hmm. And we've always done it on digital. Like we never really touched theatrical. And so Mm -hmm. now that is becoming the norm, but there's a problem to it because 
you can't create good content without having people do it. So like, depending on how long this uh, standstill goes, there's going to be a large gap of not having content and then figuring out how you make it in the future. And so that affects some pretty big media companies. It does. And so one of the companies I really like, I've liked for a long time is Disney. Uh, that's been one of my favorite stocks for a long time. And obviously they're getting a double whammy in this because movies in the theaters you mentioned, right? So nobody's seeing new movies. Productions are getting shut down because of that human contact. And then Disney's got the parks, right? So that's kind of the other business that their parks are shut. Right, they're shuttered. Who knows when they're going to open again? And when they open again, are they going to be super popular right away? You take the example of 9-11, which, you know, I lived through as a trader. It took about a year before people got on planes again. And that was only four planes that caused the problem, right? Mm -hmm. And this is every plane that could theoretically be causing a problem. So how long is it before people get on planes again? Similar thing to theme parks. So from a perspective of film, I would imagine, and I would probably end this with a question for you is if i were an actor or a producer or a director now would i even care about getting something in the theater i mean there's nostalgia to that right but wouldn't i go even harder toward platforms like youtube like netflix um you know like disney plus although that's in, encapsulated in the disney world like hulu wouldn't i be trying to beg those guys to put my film on so that down the road, if theaters do become a thing, I've already got a name for myself, whether it be as an actor, producer, director, whatever. I mean, would you agree with that? I mean, that seems to me like this is this is now an opportunity for independent films that that like they need to capitalize on. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the, uh, a lot of the chatter is that 2020 is the year of the streaming services, right? I mean, Netflix has been the leader for a long time, but they're starting to be niche. Um, streaming services that are accumulating users and can maintain a revenue model because there's enough content. And so, um, yeah, I, I mean, I read an article that Netflix streaming jumped 85%, right? Mm -hmm. But like, are they uh, attaining any more users or does everyone already have all the streaming services? And so how, you know, how can you inflate the value of your content, right? Like that's always the hardest part with selling to these streaming services is like, why does this one movie sell for 20 million and why does this one sell for 200k right. and you know that's just the the art of independent film i guess yeah well it's it's funny because independent films would get awards right they go to the film festivals and they get awards i don't know what happens to the festivals now you know does park city utah start to die down a little bit because they don't have their independent film festival and so from a perspective of that i keep thinking to myself if you can now get something on some of these, there's streaming services like Pluto and things like that. Do independent filmmakers now just go to them and go here, just play it. Whenever you want, just play it, it's that good. You know, we made it, just get some eyes on it. So I have a streaming financial show, right? Called the Pure Exposure Growth Series. We're sponsored by E-Trade and the CME, right? So there are sponsors. So they basically, I don't make any money on the show. They pay for the production of the show. Um, all they all the money that comes to us from our sponsor goes to trying to get eyes it doesn't go to anything else we don't pay anybody that comes on i don't get paid we pay the studio cost we pay the producer director um i now have a production company here in chicago that i'm a partner in the producer director of, of my show the pure exposure growth series is a partner in that production company uh, but we pay him for his labor 
and then that's it. The rest of it is like, just get eyes on it. We don't care. The rest of the money just goes to getting eyes on that. Well, there's, you know, a lot more eyeballs now to, to go after because that's all you can do is sit at home and, and stare at your monitors or your TV or your, or your phone. And, um, so I've been seeing a trend, um, that a lot of people have been live streaming now like live streaming is becoming at least on instagram like every day now when i load it up like there's like 25 people's live streaming but there's no revenue in live streaming on instagram and i know this because i run a ton of ads and so maybe i think twitch might have that right another amazon company mm -hmm. um but there I, I see that there is a shift in how content creators are potentially going to monetize themselves in this in this new pandemic you know virtual era yeah there's a there's a company called uh, zero hedge is it zero hedge or is it which one is it i'm trying to remember the name of it no hedge eye i'm sorry it's called hedge eye and it's run by this guy who has free content and then a paywall and i think really for me from a financial perspective because i theoretically theoretically give value that people can make money on. It's not just to entertain them while they're waiting for their pizza, right? That that's probably where I go with this show that I've created. So we've done four episodes. We've got three more in the pipe and they're once a month. And if we get to the point of doing them once a week, we'll have a free section of content. And then at some point we'll be like, all right, you know, thanks everybody. We hope you enjoyed the free part. Now sign up because we're going behind our paywall for our paying members. And then we would give the real content, the real learning, right? The real, hey, we just bought this stock, you need to buy it. Or we just bought silver, you need to buy silver, here's why. And that stuff will be behind the paywall. But I need the eyes first, right? So we're about 4,000 viewers now. I figure if we get to 40,000, we can then get more sponsors and then we can try and do that. Where we tell people, look, it's gonna be $20 a month or $10 a month or whatever it is to get the real content, but we'll keep doing our free show. That seems to me to be a model that potentially somebody like, I don't know, Jerry Seinfeld or Sebastian Maniscalco, who's newer, or somebody like that could probably do that. Down the road, he could be like, here's my free YouTube stuff. I'm pretty funny. I'm doing a special on YouTube. It's five bucks. I don't know. I mean, that seems to me where it's going. I agree with you, Bob. And that's why I've been extremely busy lately, because that's <laughs> that's what I do, right? That's what I do for companies and I love it right like if more of these in or more of these entertaining individuals who have audiences are interested in monetizing their content then maybe they should just create a quick paywall system and you know generate what what's Netflix now 14 generate 14.99 a month from you know 4,000 people and hey you know you can still do your free stuff the other thing I would say is I think this situation is terrible for companies like Comcast and cable companies because I'm a cord cutter myself. And one of the reasons I waited to cut the cord so long is I needed to figure out how to get my financial channels that I watch all day. And then it became easy. And I literally have my monthly bill, almost half of what it was, and that includes the internet. Then I still have Netflix, I have Hulu, I have Disney Plus, and I have uh, three or four different apps that I pay a monthly fee for, and it's plenty. I can't, there's more content than I can watch. Yeah. Include YouTube. So it's, de it's definitely becoming a, a niche thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, okay. What else do I want to ask you? So
tell me what's happening with oil. I mean, I know we talked about uh, that you're the oil guy, but yeah. I'm very interested because I see on the shows um, that oil was at like $20 the other day. And yeah. I remember back in the day when I was trading, it, I don't know what the high was, but I remember seeing it like $140 a barrel. Is that, am I, I mean, was it ever uh, that high? Yeah, that was the high. And so, and so I'm seeing $20 a barrel and I'm driving in Santa Monica and it's like, uh, like three fifty nine a gallon still, and I'm like, what the? <laughs> they kill you guys out there. I lived in Southern California for four and a half years. Uh, I lived in Pacific Palisades, and uh, it, it was always it always just threw me how expensive everything is out there. But uh, you just look out your window and look around, you understand why everything's so expensive because it's it's clearly one of the most beautiful places in the world. But from a perspective of the gas prices. So here we're already down to a buck 84 um, in Chicago. And Chicago is usually one of the most expensive places in the country. It's always top five. So we're already down to a buck 84 a gallon here. Um, crude oil itself, and you have to excuse me for looking down because it moves so fast. I'm actually looking at my uh, my E-Trade account on my phone. A little plug for the sponsor of my show. Crude oil is up six and a half percent today. It's at twenty six ninety, which still seems really low compared to your one hundred and forty dollar reference. Which again, that was just about the high. Crude oil is, first of all, prior to cryptocurrencies, crude oil was the most volatile thing you could trade. I mean, moves of one to three percent were a normal day, especially now when you talk about from a percentage standpoint. When you're looking at prices this low. Obviously, it still moves the same. It still has the same range on a daily basis, but the percentage seems higher. So obviously, if you're at twenty dollars, ten percent is two dollars. If it moves two dollars, it's a ten percent move, right? Whereas if you're at a hundred dollars, a two dollar move is two percent. So it seems more dramatic. But if you go back in time to about 1986, for about 14 years, the range was about ten dollars to twenty-six dollars. That was the range back then. And that was when the US had virtually no oil production, two, three million barrels a day, something like that. It was all coming out of traditional Texas wells. So crude oil, a barrel of crude oil, the thing you remember is three, two, one. So three barrels of crude oil produces two barrels of gasoline and one barrel of everything else. Mm. And that means jet fuel, it means um, tar, it means plastics. It means everything else that is made from crude oil, a lot of people don't know is made from crude oil. So when the price of crude oil rises or falls, gasoline doesn't fall by the same amount. A lot of people think, well, crude oil was at 40, it was at 20, gas price should be cut in half. Not really. For every $10 move in a barrel of crude, you should get 30 to 50 cents moving gasoline. I'm sorry, 25 to 30 cent moving gasoline, because that's just the function. But also you'll find that prices fall a lot slower at the pump then they rise. I mean, if crude oil rises, the pumps change the next day. But crude oil, it, crude oil right now, it used to be only a positive when gasoline crude oil prices fell. Right now, you're talking about 250,000 jobs across like Texas, Oklahoma, North Dakota, some parts of Ohio that work in the new oil industry in the US, which is shale. A lot of people don't like shale, and I understand why, but it does it does sustain a lot of jobs and a lot of families. So now you've got the president actually advocating for higher crude oil prices where this entire term he's been advocating for lower crude oil prices. Um, I don't think it's unusual for him to 
kind of be manic like that in terms of his, his opinions on things and switching. But I understand in this particular time why you want to help the crude oil industry because it's not replaceable on grand scale in an economically affordable way today. It will be. Um, but there's there's ramifications for crude oil prices being too low, not the least of which being another 250, 300,000 jobs lost, which we had the jobs number this morning. We lost 701,000 jobs. And that's really over 900,000 because last month was plus 285. So without this virus, we should have been adding 200,000. Instead, we lost 700. So the net effect is really a 900,000 job loss. But crude oil needs to kind of sustain itself right now because it's simply in a place where there's too many jobs lost, number one. And number two, if the price of crude oil falls, guess who else gets harmed? Elon gets harmed. Tesla gets, what, what do you pay for a Tesla when gasoline is 25 cents a gallon? I mean, you don't go out and pay 68 grand for a Tesla. If you can buy a $40,000 car and fill it up for 10 bucks, you know, it just becomes so, for people who want fossil fuels to go away, and I'm one of them, I just want them to go away slowly. I don't want them to go away quickly because it just damages too many people along the way. But if you want fossil fuels to go away, you want crude oil prices high. Because that's one of the reasons that you would want to buy an electric car or anything else that runs on something other than fossil. And that becomes a supply demand thing, right? Like right now there's no demand and a lot of supply. Right, right. And there's going to be a lot of supply of Teslas if the price keeps going down. So, so we can we, we could assume that oil might not ever hit a hundred again. I mean, we never know because we now have the technology to run transportation elect, electronically. Yeah. So here, here's the fun, here's the funny thing. Um, from a perspective of crude oil itself, like we just built a bunch of pipelines to ship U.S. crude around, right? But crude oil moves 11 miles per hour through a pipe. It can't go faster. If it goes faster, it damages the actual oil. It heats up and it damages the viscosity of the oil. So we've got all these pipelines built. So those pipelines are going to be filled. Um, there's just no two ways about it. They were partially government funded. Um, the end of Obama and the beginning of Trump finished them. So those are going to be filled with crude oil. But the alternatives uh, are not only the future because we want them to be. It's because there is an end date for crude oil. It ends. Now it's probably farther off. I probably won't see it in my lifetime, but you might. So the market forces, what a lot of people don't understand is the best way to complement these things, to make these things happen. When you try to force something down a 50 year old Chicago guy's throat, he ain't doing it, right? But for me, as a pers from a perspective of you know, there's global warming deniers. Uh, we don't call it global warming anymore. There's climate change deniers and there's climate change advocates. And if you're talking to a climate change denier, I say the same thing to them every time. Would you rather have clean air or dirty air? Which one would you rather have? Just answer honestly, right? You got kids, you got grandkids. Would you rather they breathe cleaner air, regardless of what the temperature is? They all say, of course. Say, okay, well, work with me then. You know, let's work on this stuff. Let's find a middle ground where the air gets cleaner. And let's just look at it from that perspective. You know, do you like the idea of a dolphin having a plastic ring around his nose? I don't know. You know, so, okay, maybe my, my pop is five cents more for a six pack, right? Uh, whatever, but explain it to me that way. Don't tell me I have to do it. 
And that's the problem with, with government when they come in. And it's a very libertarian view that I have. It's like, you explain to, some, to someone like me why something's better, I'm, I'm in. But if you try to make me do it, it ain't happening. Yeah, that's great. A great insight. I mean, that's why I appreciate, you know, your perspective on things. Um, I do I do have a question. So when you look at the overall market, right, the S&P, right, over the three year span, it's kind of like straight up. And now we have this dip and we're yep. basically where the levels we were at when or right before President Trump got elected. Right. Yep. Maybe give or take. Right. And so right there, that doesn't worry me too bad right we're taking a three-year step back you know like we can bounce back from that at what point does the reverse start to feel painful like if we take a 10-year step back like that could really have ramifications for a lot of businesses let's put it in perspective all we are like you said the level of the s p is where it was in 2016. but from a percentage basis on a percentage we gave up to 2019 and that's it. 2019, we were up, the S&P was up 29.6%. We're down 30% now, that's it. We basically gave up the exact same amount that we made last year. And if I came to you and said, what was your financial situation in 2018? Most people are like, it's pretty good, it's okay. It could be better, but it's not bad. The problem is, is the economy is not going. So the argument right now, and it is a valid argument, there's people out there saying, don't open the economy up because your people are gonna die. If you keep the economy closed longer, people are gonna die. So I live in Pilsen, right? You know Pilsen. Yeah. Pilsen is a changing neighborhood. If these people can't work for another two or three months, it's gonna change for the worse really quick, right? So there's gonna be more violence. Yep. And then in Knoxville, Tennessee last weekend, got 23 suicide calls. You can look up the story. On a normal weekend, they get maybe half to one. They get about three a month. Um, those suicide calls are related to people not working. The depression kicks in for people who suffer from that awful disease and they kill themselves. So there's all kinds of other factors going on in here where we do need to get the economy re reopened. But from a perspective of the markets, which is what you asked me, there's been two bear markets. We're in a bear market. And for those of you that don't know, bear market is a 20% move down from a recent high. It, it has a definition, right? And that's the definition. 20% down from the most recent high. So we entered a bear market in March, around March 12th or so, something like that. In the 2008 to 2009 bear market, from the time we entered the bear market to the time when the market found its low price, okay, that was 20 months. It was 20 months of moving down. No, I'm sorry, 14 months. In the 2001 bear market, which I experienced as a trader, right? That was the um, internet bubble. From the time we entered the bear market to the time we found a low, 20 months. So the last two were 14 months and 20 months before we even found our bottom. And this one is one month, we're, we're saying? We're, one we're, and we're not even at one month. We're three weeks in. We're about actually about 14, 16 days in. So doesn't mean that we're not gonna get out of this one faster. Just so you know, 1987, the bear market found its low in one day. Okay, it entered a bear market on October 19th, 1987, and it hit its low on October 20th. But to get back to the bear market price, and that's the price where you enter into a bear market, so it's already 20% down, that was four months and 17 days. 
So people got to chill a little bit and understand that it's not going to come back tomorrow and understand that that's probably okay because there's a lot of damage being done to the economy right now with the shutdown for a good reason to save lives, right? Yeah, I mean, it goes, the longer it takes to come back out of it. I like, I mean, I, I like that uh, your perspective in that lives are going to be lost one way or another and you got to find some sort of middle ground. You got to find uh, a problem. And I yes. don't know what that is, by the way. I'm not advocating it either way. I don't know. Um, all right. So here's what I'm going to do because we're, we're running, you know, kind of short on time. Um, what I appreciate is your market perspective and insights on these things. And I see a lot of the the newbie traders, right, and the, the newbie investors um, doing a lot of chit chatter on, you know, the social media. So I'm going to drive all of them to you, right? Your Instagram, they can follow you, yep. um, follow all the shows, all this. If anybody wants to learn more about that, um, Bob is a, a cool guy to follow because it's, you know, it's not going to be some, some huff bullshit. Right. Um, and, and you, you got some good followers, you know, they engage, right? Everyone's, you know, yep. trying to help each other make money. Um, so I wanted to end it on, um, any advice that you might give, you know, how about, you know, people here in Los Angeles who are, are, are stuck at home um, trying to figure out, you know, because a lot of people move out here to, to work in entertainment, to, to follow this dream. And so I feel like this is a big uh, step for them to overcome. But I, I do think that there is opportunity. Um, and so what would you get, you know, what would you say to some, some you know, the people that I, I, I know out here? So, you know, again, I lived out there for four and a half years and a lot of the people who are chasing that dream, right? They work in hospitality while they're chasing, right? Restaurants, bars, hotels, things like that, which is one of the biggest cities in the world for them. So they're hurting right now. So I would tell them two things. If you think you want to become a trader to generate income, understand that you can't learn that in six weeks. Trading is a trade, just like being an electrician, or being a bricklayer or being in construction, you gotta go through some education, reputable, okay? And you gotta go through some internship style learning where you're gonna lose, you know this. I mean, you've been trading a long time. The beginning is hard because you spend so much time trying to figure out why something happened. The least empowering question for traders is why. The most empowering question is what? In other words, what just happened and what am I doing about it? And the only time you're thinking clearly about a trade is prior to getting in it. So you want to figure out every single thing that's going to do, where am I getting out at a profit? Where am I getting out at a loss? And where am I entering? And do not deviate from what you thought about prior to entering, because that's the only time you're thinking clearly. Once you're in the trade, you're a mess. I've been doing this 27 years. I'm still a mess when I'm in a trade and I'm not lying. I'm promise you that. Number two, if you just want to invest because the markets are down, start today. Even though I just told you we're probably not at the low, start today and start small. For younger people, there's things like Doe that a friend of mine owns. Um, there's things like Robinhood. There's things like Acorn. Do those things. You'll find that over five years from now, six years from now, you won't believe how much more money you have because of that. And then maybe you reach out to somebody like me and you say, hey, I want to be more active, right? But if you've already got a small nest egg, it is possible to invest profitably and trade profitably. Trading's harder and it takes more time, but it's also more lucrative. 
So for most people, I would say start building a core portfolio. And that's actually something we do for people. I know you're going to put the link down there, but start building a core portfolio and start there because starting now as a trader, man, it's dangerous. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, joining the army during a war. It's just probably a bad idea. So starting as a trader right now is hard, but if, if that's your dream and that's your goal, do it, but start with learning about it and understand how hard it's going to be in the beginning. Yeah. So, um, do you have a, a, a recommended product that, that you think, you know, uh, the audience would, would, you know, would be, it would be best to get them started on? Yeah. So again, we build portfolios for people, but it's a, it's a mass market portfolio. So it's called the stock think tank. And right, we literally pushed that out to the market because we were preparing it for the next correction and the bear market came so fast that we pushed the product out. We're still tweaking the way we send out the alerts and things like that, but it is open for business. And the introductory price is 500 bucks for 12 months. So that's $42 a month, right? So that's cheap. And what we do is we tell you what stocks to buy, where to buy them and where to get out. So it can't be simpler than that. The trades are put on, put in your account in the morning before the market opens. And the next time you touch it is the next day before the market opens. So it's not something designed to stare at. So that would be where, where, from my perspective, where I would go. And also I'd encourage people to watch our online show because it's free. Uh, it's pure exposure growth series. Our next episode is April 13th. I think I'm still going to be able to be in the studio, but all my guests are going to be via Skype. Normally I have a guest in studio with right. me. But the replays are up on YouTube now at the Pure Exposure Growth Series uh, YouTube channel. So you can watch those as well and see what the show is like. And you put some of those tidbits on Instagram too. So I'll add the Instagram li link. because yeah, I'm trying to build my Instagram up. My Twitter is pretty active and pretty uh, pretty good. But my Instagram is it's been slow going for me. I don't share personal stuff. And that's probably why it's slow growing. But um, my financial stuff's up there. And I'd encourage people to follow me and, and feel free to reach out. Cool, Bob. Well, look, I, you know, I appreciate your time, right? I appreciate your insight. Um, you know, we're all having to do this stuff from home. And so it's an adjustment, but you know, I feel like I've been doing this even before the quarantine. So like, you know, my goal is to try and help innovate and like, you know, work with, you know, leaders and, and people trying to disrupt like yourself. Um, and so, you know, thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Next time you come home, make sure you reach out. We'll grab a cocktail. Yeah, in, you know, six months to eight months or 12 months. <laughs> Whatever you can move from your house. All right, Bobby. Appreciate right, it. Good talking to you, man. Have a good one. You too.